0: Welcome to the Women Governance Gurus podcast, where we listen to the journeys of women working in the field of corporate governance, their passions, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Liz Dunchy, and my co-host is Courtney Camlet. Hi, everyone. Courtney and I are both passionate about governance, and we want to spotlight some of the amazing women who share that passion, hear what has surprised them over their career and various perspectives from different paths and industries. For this episode, we are thrilled to be talking with Marion McIndoe, Head of ESG Strategy and Engagement at Uber. Welcome, Marion.
1: Thank you very much, Courtney and Liz. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I also am hugely passionate about governance and ESG. And on top of that, it's always been a dream of mine to be on a podcast. Uh, so I'm very excited. Ever
0: since <laughs> Serial, I've been, I've been a podcast enthusiast. Well, we're glad that we could satisfy that dream for you.
2: We are so glad. Um, So you have had a varied career in governance, starting as a senior proxy research analyst at Glass-Lewis. Could you tell us about your path to becoming head of ESG strategy and engagement at Uber?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I heard, uh, you know, I've listened to your podcast and I, I heard Ann Chapman on an earlier podcast referring to her path as serendipity. And, uh, similarly, uh, I chose to pursue a career in governance mainly because I had an enormous passion for paying off student loan debt. <laughs> uh, I, I, started with a temper, as a temp job, a proxy season job at Glass Lewis in January 2005, which was Glass Lewis's second proxy season. So they were still, you know, getting their, uh, sinking their teeth into it as well and I spent the first few weeks learning what is a proxy what what is a public company what do boards do? where's the bathroom <laughs> and uh, uh, but but applying for the job in the first place is interested me because not only was I deeply in debt uh, but I had also recently finished my master's in urban planning at the London School of Economics <clears throat> not unrelated to the debt. Wow. Uh and I had uh I had become over the course of that program, which I really enjoyed, but I had become disenchanted uh with the efficacy of the public sector. And I felt that if you wanted to really make a positive difference in the world, companies were the ones holding the keys to the castle. Um and I wanted to be a part of that story. So, I stayed at Glass lewis for seven years. Um, and it was a great experience. and I learned so much and And one of the really interesting things about working at a proxy advisor, at least then I can't speak to now, but is the seasonal analysts coming in and out like the tides every year, bringing in you know fresh perspectives and uh, ginger and vim uh, to the work and um. And and also, over the course of those seven years was a lot of evolving um, not only on you know my part or Black Lewis, but on the part of companies uh, and investors and and an elevation in the importance of the work. Mm-hmm. You know, engagement wasn't a thing then, you know at all, really. Uh SasB didn't exist, and it was still a time of defining the shareholder value links to natural and human capital. Right, there, there weren't even iPhones then, or social media except for MySpace and like maybe some. Maybe I got a Facebook account, and and uh, and and iPhones and social media. And there's an important link between having a camera in your pockets and everyone having their own personal megaphone that has seriously altered the risk profiles of ESG mm-hmm. at companies and investors. So, so I was a proxy generalist there for a spell covering. All ballot items, directors, compensation, and uh, auditors. Uh, those were, those were my favorite. <laughs> it took a few seconds. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, after a few years there, Glass Lewis decided they needed to up their game on shareholder proposals because they had the proxy generalists covering those, but they're so deep and they're so many and so nuanced, uh, they wanted someone dedicated to it full time. So I took that, took on that role and became their first director of environmental, social and governance research. Hmm. So I wrote policies and analyzed every single shareholder proposal in the world, for years (laughs) until I left. (laughs) That's really, I'm just having flashbacks.
2: That's Uh, really starting at the forefront. Very interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So until I left there in in 2011. So when I tapped out there, I went to Chevron uh, for a couple different reasons. And one is that it had a world-class governance program. Uh, Lydia Beebe was a corporate secretary, then a Titan uh, in governance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was, just excited for the opportunity to work with and for her, but second, was Chevron had the distinction of the most shareholder proposals on any ballot, anywhere, <laughs> uh, going back and forth with Exxon um, at twelve or thirteen. Um, now, Amazon gets over twenty. That's wild, and it blows my mind. Like I just, I just can't even imagine how much. Resources they're dedicating to 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 that, but anyways, so I went there for the shareholder proposals. Um, I, I worked at Chevron for for seven years um, in the corporate secretary function, and then in policy, uh, helped launch their first ESG engagement program, uh, writing the corporate responsibility report, uh, doing the first materiality assessment, which was which is an interesting process, uh, writing responses to shareholder proposals, investor inquiries, etc. Again, I was there for seven years, but. Then I wanted to switch seats at the table. Um, I, as at Glass-Lewis, I had advised investors on companies. And then at Chevron, I advised company on investors. Uh, so then I really wanted to be the person pushing the vote button, on the proxies mm-hmm. uh, I wanted I wanted to be the investor I wanted to be the one being wooed <laughs> yeah and, and, and an opportunity opened up at Schwab um, and I worked there for two years as director of investment stewardship and helped them build out their first ESG engagement program that's that's one one of the things I do now is I build out <laughs> build out engagement programs um, I build uh, build out their new policies on shareholder proposals. Um, and I really enjoyed sitting on that side of the table and, and actually seeing how ESG considerations are factored into proxy voting and, and the investment process. And, and and I really couldn't say enough good things about the team there and the work that we did. But then I went to a conference and it was in CII, uh, CII or the Society in 2019.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I saw Keir Gums mm-hmm. and Tony West talk about Uber uh, and Uber's approach to governance and culture and safety and the well-being of drivers. And the only cor- the only word I could use uh, is enchanted. I was <laughs> just enchanted by their authenticity and their candor. Um, I was enchanted by the humility um, and the pride mm-hmm. um, and the professionalism. And I knew when I saw them, I knew I had to be a part of it. I, I really... I saw I was happy at Schwab, but I saw my people at Uber. I, I and it just so happens my background was a great fit for what they needed. You know they had they had just gone public, so shortly after going public, they wanted to launch a mature ESG engagement program, which is you know one of the things that I had done previously in several roles, um, and and to build out quality ESG reporting and and also a strategy, which is which is the work that I'm doing now. So I, I've been very
2: lucky and blessed
1: throughout my career.
2: Kier is fantastic. I worked with him at the SEC uh, well, about two decades ago, uh, but he was always such a pleasure to work with and so knowledgeable and passionate.
1: I couldn't be any luckier.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you if you worked with Kier because I assume that you probably did, but he does have such a great passion for ESG, and, and I can tell that you do too, and so I could imagine that you guys have a lot of fun together.
1: Yeah, it's great. I I really am really and I'm very happy with where we are uh, as a a function and and, and
0: the whole team's great, you know, not just here. Everyone on the team is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I get that impression. That's wonderful. So has there been anything that surprised you as you've progressed? I mean, you've really done it all. So it's quite impressive. (laughs) But have there been any surprises along the way? Yeah, you know, honestly, what has surprised me is
1: how much I have consistently loved this work. Um, So every job that I've left, I've I've cried because I was going to miss it so much. And and I think that's that's a really good thing. And I've never got tired of learning about the value implications of governance and how governance and culture and environmental and social issues matters to the bottom line. It's so dynamic. And it's so consistent um, and it's been great to have be able to span a career consistently learning and enjoying this work. Um, and and then another, you know, another somewhat surprising thing on that same note, and, and maybe this applies to, to the governance industry more broadly, is that the skills you learn are completely transferable. So, you know, when I was at Glass-Lewis a few years in, I thought, well, this is my life now. Like, I guess I guess I work in proxies and and I was afraid that like the, the narrow like I was looking at what, what what can I what can I do with my career? And it felt so narrow. But as this industry has grown and as my understanding of it has matured, it's a huge world of opportunity out there. Mm-hmm. The skills to build a program or understand material risks or, you know, good governance principles are the same. No matter what industry you work in, and it makes the ties between governance professionals or across companies or with investors, you know those connections can be very tight because because it, it's it's a it's a shared sense of the world that you can apply anywhere, and, and that's been surprising and and, uh, and and a delight.
0: And it's so fluid. That's a really encouraging perspective because when you said that you cried when you left every job, I thought. <laughs> Wow, that was really brave that you still left, even though you liked it so much. You you had the bravery to go and try something new, and so that's a great perspective to bring in that you do feel that the skills are transferable and well, that it's a big world. Well, actually, on that point,
1: one um, I, I I I gave notice to my job at Schwab on March eighth, twenty twenty. And then three days later oh. was, you know, the, the NBA shut down mm-hmm. and then the whole world shut down a few days after that, and I was like, oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. like this is the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. Um, but uh, that, luckily that turned out not to be the case. Oh, that's great.
2: No, That's fantastic. And it's great that you have such an enjoyment of it and that work is fun because I think for so many people you, they don't have that light, and it really does come through. And I'm sure especially when you're talking – with uh, investors and other stakeholders.
1: Oh yeah, and, you know what quirky note on working and enjoying Uber is? I've never been in the office or met anyone in person, <laughs> except oh my for gosh. my interview. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because my computer was mailed to me, and uh, so I've, it's been very, uh, very little contact with the folks that that I enjoy so much.
2: Yeah, that's been a really interesting change for a lot of companies um, as they've grown, or like we did, gone public in the midst of the pandemic. So how
1: we've been, they're so effective, right? That's so weird how, how it all transitioned. And I mean, I guess Uber is a tech company, so it's not surprising it was a pretty facile for the corporate teams to, to transition to virtual. But for me, you know, starting a new job in a closet <laughs> with a computer, it's, um, I've, been, I've been, they've been very supportive.
2: Yeah. I think a lot of companies have just had to learn how to pivot really fast and now they've gotten good at it. So it, you know, it definitely opens up a whole new world going forward. So, what major governance shifts have you seen over the years as you've progressed from the proxy advisory firm to public companies with a stint at the financial services firm Schwab? yeah, so so
1: I thought about this question, and I think and I, and I wanted to not give an ESG answer. I wanted to stick, you know governance, purest governance. And I think the biggest shift that I've seen in pure governance is caring about ESG. Hmm. So it's, a, it's an ESG answer also. So just seeing the conversations around these issues shift at the highest level of companies from, you know, who cares about, you know, the first, it seemed like questions before, who cares about ESG? Why am I wasting my time on this? To how should we manage this? What do we need to do? How do we get better? Uh, so it's it's almost as if the skill set and thinking around this has completely changed from, you know, trying to convince people that ESG matters and how you make this, who makes decisions, and how matters. Uh, how you steward natural and human capital matters. To okay, tell us how to do it. And and I think that's one that people who have my job, are, are, you know, in many other companies are are uh, navigating this shift from why should we do it to how
0: should we do it.
2: Yeah, and then the shift from how should we do it to are you doing enough, and are you talking about what you're doing in sufficient detail?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and accurately. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's thats that critical too uh so Marion, what's one thing that you would like people to know about e s g and investor engagement that may not be discussed very often?
1: yeah, I think you know as a as as a person who sat on you know the the advisory side of the table and as an investor participating in engagements and as an issuer, I think the one thing that I would tell folks uh, that that maybe they haven't thought about is that in engagements, directors can go off the rails. (laughs) Mm. So, and I'm not talking about Uber here, but if if you invite your directors to talk to investors, just make sure you prep them first. And and I'm not, again, not, not about Uber, but in the hundreds of engagements I've seen over the course of, you know, 15 years, I've seen directors go off script. So one, one funny example is a meeting I had with an oil oil company director and uh the, the the question was climate change as, as it often is and uh, they they the the man gave all the talking points exactly like they were supposed to be exactly what I would expect and then as soon as the talking points finished, he shifted the script to talking about how. Well, you know the climate's been changing for millions of years anyway. Like, ask the dinosaurs about climate change; they'll tell you a story. You know, and the other attendees and I it was a like a group engagement. We're like, oh my gosh! I bet if their ESG staff was here, <laughs> they would be like, oh wow. no, this is not this is not what we this is not the script. Or, or you know, you also want to watch out for directors who like can't tell the story of of what you're uh, of what you're hoping to get across, whether it's the compensation program or, or oversight or
0: or get angry
1: uh, but but you know most of the of course the directors that i that I work with now are very, very professional and knowledgeable, and have fantastic oversight but if you're if you are on either side of the table, you definitely want to think about who who you're putting in front of uh, investors or or who uh, who's sitting in front of you if you're on the investor side
2: yeah, and I think from that perspective, directors have gotten a lot more savvy, realizing that you know they do play a bigger role in these engagements. And so it it really is coordination with the company and understanding everything they're talking about.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, expectations on directors have gotten... Very high, and for good reason. And and at, you see overboarding uh, policies tightening because of that. And I think that's that's appropriate as as directors are expected to uh, take on more roles and represent shareholders in, in in the boardroom. And you know we're really lucky at Uber to to have you know Ron Sugar is a fantastic chairman. He's on several other boards, including Chevron, and uh, you know he he um, he's a fantastic um, asset to our, to our company and to the story.
2: Oh, that's great. So our seminal question that we ask everyone. What do you think women in the corporate governance field can add to the current conversation on the societal role of companies?
1: Yeah, I think um I think the big story I think that women in the governance field can add is the story about inclusion and to be a role model for your company uh for for investors be be a role model generally for inviting everyone to be their full and authentic selves in their roles and at their companies, um, allowing different ideas to to penetrate the conversations in ways that m- maybe was not as welcome 10, 15 years ago, and, and be a champion for purpose. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing what we're doing? And make sure that all of the choices and strategies and initiatives you pursue Are grounded in not only your own personal, you know, your own personal purpose, but the purpose of the company that you're you're working for and and with. I mean, our corporate purpose at Uber is to reimagine the way the world moves for the better, right? And it sound it sounds high level, but every time I start a meeting, I always try to ground it in some of the principles behind that. And I think it's important to be able to tell the story of purpose and inclusion. As a value generating proposition not not just values, but this is this is the value generating proposition for yourself for the company for the work you do, and tell that story not only publicly but but more importantly to yourself like to tell yourself that story as well.
0: I love that champion for purpose. I'm gonna use that
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I love that too, and I think that's something that a lot of companies and a lot of individuals struggle a little bit with because um purpose can sound a little bit fluffy sometimes, or uh, maybe it's not well-defined, but I love that mission that Uber's articulated because it does very clearly link value and values, and it's something that you can, like you said, put into practice every day. So that's that's great. I think you're doing it right for what it's worth. Oh, well, thank you. Well, thank you for being here and for sharing your thoughts. And thanks to everybody who joined us for this episode of Women Governance Gurus. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use for podcasts. And we would love if you would rate us while you're there.
1: Well, thank you for having
0: me. Thanks again for being here. Great conversation.